everyone, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, the esteemed Gusto returns from his recent AGQ run. How's it going, man? Oh, man, it's going great. I understand you're in Japan right now as well. Yeah, it's my last day here. I'm going to come back uh, tomorrow, hopefully get back to streaming. Nice. This is my time to this, if this comes out. Uh, I'll have been streaming for a bit. Yeah, I bet. I'm going to try and get this out pretty quickly, though. So I guess before we get into talking about AGQ, I just wanted to hear more about you were recently on the cave stream and got interviewed. How did that go? Man, that, that felt amazing. Like Shutaro, he, he came and picked me up at the train station. He took me to uh to this elevator to go up this building. And, man, I just couldn't contain my excitement. And by the time like we got to that top floor, I walked in those build doors of those of that cave offices, man. It just exploded. I, I just went wild there. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask. So you were actually in the cave office then? Yeah. So what's the what's the inside look, man? What what's going on in there? Well, most of what was happening it was kind of sealed off. Sure. Like he, he made it kind of clear to me there's a lot of shit going off like NDAs. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, outsiders aren't really allowed to see a whole lot, but uh, what you can see is a big IKD statue, and I made sure to get some pictures with it. That's really cool. Did they have any cabinets in the office, like cave games just out there in the office, or no? Yeah, they had a Diojo cabinet out there in the office, but uh, he told me that the thing is, like, they've got, like, this one cab where, like, they can, like, swap out one game and just happened that, like, when I walked in, they had Diojo in there. Uh-huh. But the problem with Diojo was like uh, the PCB like had some issue where they couldn't like sit at the free play, so nobody could really play it. <laughs> That's funny. So they were having to feed it actual quarters and stuff, or whatever yen coins, I guess, to play it. Well, for some reason, like the the slot to like put in money was like sealed off, so it was basically just there for show. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. So they couldn't get the dip switches flipped over or anything. Well, what Shutaro said was like, uh, whenever the cabinet would reset, like uh, it would go, it would just like go back to requiring money. They couldn't like set it permanently to free play, so it was kind of too inconvenient. Right, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Did you see anything else while you were there? Like, what does their streaming setup look like? Do they have a cab in there when they stream and stuff like that, or how does that look? Well, I didn't actually like get to see their usual streaming setup. Like, the reason why I was doing an interview in the first place rather than playing something was that, like, uh, their game room where they do a streaming, they, they're having some issues with it. So they just kind of, like, took me to this, like, round table, and we did an interview there. Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, that's cool he came and uh, did the interview for you. Uh, was that the one of the main reasons you went to Japan, or is that just something you did while you were there? Yeah, it was just something I did while I was there, like... This wasn't like something that I'd spent a long time planning out. Like my girlfriend, she just like had a vacation from her work and uh, we were thinking about going somewhere. And yeah, we ended up deciding on Japan. That's awesome. Yeah. And then, uh, then I kind of like just contacted a lot of these guys that I knew if they wanted to meet me. And yeah, turned out they did. Did you go to any arcades while you were there? You know, play some shmups at the arcade and all that? Yeah, like, it, it was so cool. Like, after the interview, me and Shutara, we went to Mikado, and we, we spent, like, for four hours, I think, just playing games together there. It was awesome. 
That's really cool. Did you see any other the Japanese players? Like, what is that kind of like? Are they there pretty often, or you know what I mean? Is that rare that you see the well-known ones? I didn't see any well-known ones there in Mikado. Like most of the well-known ones, they hang out at Hay. Right. Like Hay, I met a ton of really cool people there, like WTN Kamui, and uh, that was also where I, where I met Sutaro the first time the day before my interview. Nice. But, so uh, you went to Hay as well, well then. Yeah, what was interesting, though, was, like, a lot of these guys, like, they actually saw my AGDQ run, and they commented on, like, how impressed they were by it. That was that was a real pre- pleasant surprise for me, too. Yeah, no kidding, right? We just kind of figured that Japan doesn't know of our existence, but, I mean, AGDQ is a massive stage. Yeah, yeah, I was actually really surprised, like, I, like I was kind of venting on my stream, like, the day before I left about how, like, I never got anybody in Japan talking about my run. But then, like, the first day I went into Japan, like, I arranged this meeting with Piketty, who was the first person to, like, counter-stop uh, the Futari Ultra on the port. And, yeah, he was really impressed by my run. That's so, awesome. Yeah, that was awesome, just being able to, like, meet him. And uh, he also played the credit for me. That was a real treat to see as well. That's cool. Did they have any other thoughts on AGDQ? Did they think that was like a cool stage for shmups to be at or did they have much to say about that yeah they were really impressed by uh, my, my play there like a lot of these guys like i guess they they don't really like hang around my youtube channel or my twitch so you just like see me come out of nowhere with that run right i think that really left an impression on them but uh yeah i don't think a lot of them are all that familiar with agdq like uh, it seemed a lot of these guys like they really only watched it because they saw that futari was going to be a part of Oh, I see. Yeah. Isn't that funny to think about that uh, in Japan, among the shmup players, Futari has more recognition than AGDQ, where in America, it's like completely backwards. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I never (laughs) thought of it that way. Right? They're like, oh, there's some stream playing playing Futari and it's AGDQ, (laughs) right? Yeah. I'm just trying to imagine from their perspective, they look at the view count, they're like, wow, America has a lot of shmup fans, dude. They got like all these people watching it. And Well, like even for me, like I don't really watch AGDQ. I was only really interested in it because like I had to run there. Yeah. And yeah, that's also kind of why I'm interested in, in SGDQ now since like you and Kiwi are getting a shmup block going there. I'm not really all big into like watching all those other speed runs, but yeah, shmups, I'm all into that shit. Yeah. So we're on the topic. So let's let's talk about it. Your AGDQ experience. I want to know from the moment you kind of like landed and got there, what was that like? Not the run itself, but when you first got there and, you know, it's this huge event. I don't know where, where you were, like the common area where people at all recognizing what you were up to or what was that kind of like? Well, it was it was a little bit overwhelming at first. Like uh like AGDQ it just kinda like took place in this hotel. You got your room, then you come down the elevator first floor, they got this like big ballroom where they have all these TVs set up where all these people are talking. And yeah, the first time I saw that shit, it, it was it was a lot to take in. Uh, I was really confused actually. Like how I was supposed to get shit shit set up to practice and whatnot. Right, yeah. Yeah. That's still a mystery yeah, to me. To... Did you bring your own monitor and your own 360, I'm assuming? Or did they, like, have the 360 and the monitor and they're like, bring your controller? How did that work? 
Well, you don't have to like bring your own monitor, but yeah, you had to bring your 360, you had to bring the game, you had to bring the controller. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what they had was like I said, they had this, this massive room with all different kinds of TVs and it was basically like first come, first serve. You just kinda like pick a pick a TV that you want to play at, hook up your game, and then just you're good to go. Oh, okay. So what did you end up snagging? Did you get a good gaming monitor or what were you on? Yeah. I actually kind of like had to do some shopping around a little bit at first. Like the first monitor I, I tried out, it, w- it was horrible. It felt like like I was playing through sludge with every movement I was making. But uh, I kept looking around and uh, I did f- kind of find a decent gaming monitor that uh, I-, I went with for the rest of the weekend. So when you were there, when you watch the stream and stuff, they always mention the practice room, the practice room. Is that something... Did you go to the practice room, or how are you practicing for your run? Uh, were people checking you out and being like, holy shit, what are you playing? What is this? Or were they just kind of like, eh, whatever? How, how was the reception there? That big room that I was talking about, I think that is the practice room. But it okay. was like the public practice room. But then, like, connected to that room, they had, like, this door you could go in that was just for, like, runners only. It okay. was called, like, the private practice room. That was supposed to be, like, a lot more quiet lot smaller and yeah that's what i used like on my last day there to kind of like concentrate on my run but on the days before that i i spent most of my time in the in the public practice room and i was kind of like hoping to kind of like be able to like show the game off to a lot of people yeah how did that go i got like two, i think like two or three people i met who were like interested and just kind of like came by and said wow dude that's awesome but yeah, I, I was kind of hoping it would be more people who would like come up to me and talk. I think they might have been a little bit scared away just by the sheer difficulty of, of the game and like sure. how concentrated I need to be on it. I guess a lot of people would just figure, yeah, I'm just going to leave this guy alone. Right. So if either Kiwi or myself get in, one of my missions when I go there is to be like, I'm literally going to wear a shirt that says Shmup Ambassador on it. And I'm just going to walk around and talk to speedrunners and just try and shill the genre to everyone possible. So, yeah. would you think they would be open to that? Or do you think they'd be like, what the hell is this guy doing? Yeah, that's definitely a good idea, I think. I mean, like, just look at the reception that we got on Reddit. Right. When I did that AMA there after the run. It seemed like a lot of people there are pretty open to, like, learning more about Shmup runs. It's just like, uh... You got to make this shit more accessible to them. You know, like right now we're a little bit underground. We got to bring this shit out into the open, I think. Definitely. So you were there. You you did a lot of practicing in the practice room. So I'm trying to put myself in your shoes because I may be in your shoes pretty soon. Yeah. I'm thinking I'm projecting myself in this situation. I would feel like it would be fun to be there, but I'd also be so focused on practicing and so stressed about the run that I'd just be like playing Zero Ranger all day, yeah. every day, basically. Was that what you were doing with Vitari? Yeah, that, that's pretty much what I was doing. Like, uh, I kind of like split into like two different sessions I do a day. I got to wake up, come down there, do like three hours worth of uh, practice runs, grab something to eat, kind of relax in the hotel a little bit, then just like, do a night session, three more hours. And yeah, I just repeated that until the day of my run. How were those sessions for you? Were they, did you feel like you were confident during those or were you just like, oh, this is going to be a tough one? Yeah, I felt pretty confident during those sessions. I was actually also kind of like experimenting with a few new strats. Like 
even then. So, yeah, I felt really good about my run. felt like I was playing at my peak right there. That's a I good mean, feeling. like, yeah, I just, like, set a PB, like, a few days before I flew in. So, yeah, I really had a lot going for me there. And talking about your run, too, you had the commentary. You had Patisu and Aquas on the mic. Did you guys do rehearsals before your run? Were you guys going over, like, okay, I want you guys to talk about this, pointing out things to them? How did that go? Yeah, we, we actually put in quite a bit of work into that commentary. Even before the event, like, they messaged me and they were saying, hey, you have anything I can study for, these, for this game? And that was the whole reason why I did that tutorial series that I did on, on the game, because I wanted to, like, give these guys something they could watch. Right. And uh, to kind of take some notes on. So that way they could get, kind of give some quality commentary. I remember the first uh, the first live demo I did back at ASX. The guys I had on commentary, I think, were Soft Drink and this other guy. And I love Soft Drink a lot, but he knew absolutely nothing about the game. And yeah, I, I kind of wanted my commentators this time around to like at least know a little bit. So that way they can kind of like clue the viewers in on what was going on. The interesting thing about Fatari is it looks much more complicated than it actually is. But um, yeah, I kind of have been in soft drink shoes with the first Shmup Slam where SMC gave me a ton of notes, you know, on how to talk about the game and everything. But it was still really a struggle because I was like, oh, my God, there's so much going on right now. What what am I supposed to point out? So that's why I think it was good you guys did rehearsals. Yeah, we also did do an actual rehearsal of the run. The day before the run, uh, we went into the private practice room, and uh, yeah, we spent like two hours in the private practice room the day before the run, just like talking about what we're gonna say, what we're gonna emphasize, like what we're not gonna talk about. Right? We didn't want to get banned. <laughs> Very good yeah. thinking there. <laughs> yeah, like initially, I was actually going to be on the commentary, but uh, then we did that practice run, and I just had barely anything to say because I was so concentrated on the game. And we figured it might be for the best uh, if uh, they just went along with it without me. That way I could just kind of like listen to my own music on my headphones anyway. <laughs> I think that worked out really well. Yeah. Yeah, you know, kind of build up the suspense. Exactly. It did kind of make it seem even more intense because if you were sitting there and commentating, it would feel a little more accessible or like a little more casual. But since you were just like locked in to the screen... <laughs> People on the chat were like, this dude is not blinking. The man doesn't blink. And so I think it had a really good effect. Yeah. And then, like, when they did get to see me speak for the first time with that Bukowski poem, right. it made it, like, feel like this big deal. <laughs> right, exactly. I was a fan of Charles Bukowski, his writing and stuff, you know, before I even knew about shmups and stuff. And so when you were saying that stuff, I was like, this sounds familiar this sounds very familiar to me <laughs> but i couldn't quite place where it was from ah but anyway it was a, a deliberate reference to uh that stgt i mean that stg weekly episode i did right back in 2013 on futari You're, don't you remember yes. that one yes i remember yeah it only took me a few few seconds like a few lines to be like ah oh yeah okay yeah people actually requested me to do that that was kind of like why I was talking, like, hey, I know what you guys want. I right. Thought, I thought there would be more people picking up on the reference, actually. <laughs> I've been in similar situations. I, I, I know the feeling where I did this uh, 
I did this public speech thing back in college, and uh, I had an inside joke with my friends that they convinced me would be really killer to do up on on the stage in this big conference. And so I did it. None of my friends showed up, so everyone's like, "What the hell, Mark?" And I was like, "Okay." So yeah, I think after the aftermath is people caught on to it and were like, they dug it. They're like, "Oh, okay." Once they kind of figured out what was going on, so. And it was memorable. I talk, kind of talked about that in the video, but I felt like it was memorable and that just helps kind of like cement us in people's memories. It's like, okay, the dude destroyed Futari and then he gave this like intense speech at the end. Being memorable, I think is really important. Yeah, it works even if you don't get the reference. Right, exactly. It makes me seem a lot more like serious and, and whatnot, but yeah, it works. So actually, I want to talk to you before you start started the run. What were your nerves like the night before or the day before? Were you freaking out or were you like pretty cool about it? What was what was that like? Well, I tried to be as cool about it as I could the day before. But yeah, just, just get on stage. That, that's a totally different thing. It, it just like went through the roof. I actually felt like I was going to vomit at the end of stage one because I just feel so nervous. You, you couldn't actually like see it on the replay. Like I me, mean, I just kind of like... I lean over, shake my head, and they, <laughs> right. they, my commentators, they asked me if I was all right, so I kind of gave them a thumbs up. But yeah, I wasn't really all right. I, I, I was, man, it, it was rough. I don't doubt it at all, man. Like, i trying to mentally put myself in your shoes. I feel like, yeah, I might actually throw up or pass out right on stage, dude. Like, the pressure, the pressure is insane. I've had enough kind of public spotlight experiences, but nothing quite to that level where... Not only are you in the spotlight, but you got to perform this insane run at the same time. So, yeah, it's insane. I think people, especially people like uh, in the shmup scene, really underestimate the live aspect of the run. They really underestimate how much that adds to the skill and how much even the simple shit becomes hard in a live setting. Yeah, I'd actually done live runs before at Stunfist and... Uh... And the ESX, but but the nerves here, it was on a different level. Yeah, because this was like a big deal, dude. Yeah, this <laughs> being blows, and yeah, that's it for shmups right, you at, had a, at the event. You had the shmup genre on your back, so, man, you came through <laughs> big time. Yeah, it was it was definitely a relief. So let's let's start talking about the run. So up to stage one, you were nervous as hell, and you felt like you're going to just vomit. Yeah. How did you feel going into stage two then? Like, how did you pull that together? Well, I just played it as safely as possible. And, and fortunately for me, uh, nothing really went wrong. I managed to, like, get a no-miss all the way up to almost a stage three boss. So that definitely did a lot to calm down my nerve. And uh, at, by the time I got to stage four, I was actually a little bit too relaxed. I ended up dying at this really easy spot, and it cost me a shitload of score. Right. Yeah. And then they kind of came back towards the end of stage five again when that Larsa fight happened. Right. And uh, yeah, I was just trying my best not to totally like freak out. I remember watching the run because in my brain, like half of my brain was watching you. And then the other half of my brain was replaying what I remember from Stunfest. And so I remember when you got through stage two and three without dying, my brain was like, okay, this is good. Like he's, he's killing it right now. There's, He's gotten through a lot of the bullshit stuff that might kill him. So I remember, wasn't it stage two at Stunfest that was just throwing all kinds of madness at you? 
Yeah, at Stunfest, I came really close to a stage free game over. Yeah. My high plan was for a few stages was, was not good at all. And yeah, that definitely added to the nerves there. But here was kind of the opposite. Like uh, a lot of the botches, like they came towards the end of the run. Right. So there was a lot of tension there. Let's talk about the Larza fight because, man, everyone, it doesn't matter if they were shmup fans or not. If you looked at the chat, everyone was freaking out by the time you hit Larza. Everyone was straight up nervous. And I, I remember I was like at my desk at work, you know, I was like trying my best to look like I was working, but it's like, okay, I'm just, I'm just watching the, the stream at this point, you know, the facade is paper thin. And so, uh, <laughs> like, I remember physically feeling nervous for you. Like, my hands were, like, trembling when you hit Larza. So, what was that like for you? Yeah. It, it, yeah. Just like you described there, man, I, I was trembling. I didn't even think I was going to clear. Like, I knew there was a chance of it. But uh, I was just thinking, man, if I can at least get to the final pattern, that'll be good. Yeah. And, uh. Yeah, it felt awesome though. Like when I when I did all those crazy dodges, like towards the end of the first phase, and then I no missed the second phase. That that part that seemed like it was a real highlight for a, a lot of people, and yeah, it was, was was for me as well. But then like I got shitty RNG on the third phase, and I lost a bunch of lives there. I lost a bunch of bombs, and pressure was back on. Right. I have a shmup mentality theory just from my time playing Don Pachi and. The run that actually got me the the two all was um, I had a I had a life kind of similarly where I think it was Big B and then the start of Hibachi where I had no bombs, but I knew if I died, I'd be screwed. So like there came this instinct in me that like, okay, there's absolutely nothing to lose at this point. I must play well. And so I was making all kinds of dodges and stuff that. I really had no right to, and I felt like that yeah. kind of thing happened to you with that one life where you had no bombs, and I remember they were on commentary like, okay, he's going to die in a, in a few seconds here. He's got no bombs. These patterns are stupid, and then you just dodge through so much. <laughs> Do you remember that moment kind of feeling that way, or what were you thinking at that part? Yeah, they called it full shmup mode activated. Right. That's a real good line there, but uh, <laughs> yeah. That that does happen to me quite a bit as well, actually. I like to call it like the power of not giving a f Right. Exactly. Like when you got no bombs when when the run is pretty much going to shit. If you don't like if you die here, yeah. That that's really when you start pulling out good dodges because like there's not a whole lot of pressure. So you just kinda like play it, drive it like you stole it, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Or even sometimes I feel like for me, sometimes I, especially in Dodonpachi, in the Hibachi fights, I felt like if something bullshit hit me or if I got a, like I had to bomb way more than I should have, like I panic bombed four times in a row like an idiot, sometimes I feel like I'd get almost like a rage boost where I'd get mad and I'd just start playing really aggressively and making all kinds of dodges and stuff. That doesn't always work, yeah. but I don't know. Is that a, Does that kind of factor in as well? Sometimes you get like frustrated with yourself, but you can focus it into the gameplay well it's not frustration i think that helped me play better but it's just like that element there when uh when the nerves aren't too bad right like when you don't really care too much about the run anymore when you feel a bit more free that's why why it kind of helps me play better right yeah yeah actually like there's kind of a funny story from yesterday like i was watching this guy playing futari abreko 
and like he was dying all kinds of places at the end of his run, but uh, I thought he was playing really well before that. But yeah, I guess he was totally frustrated from how he played the end of the run. He yeah. got an early game over. I, I went up to him and I congratulated him and I said, hey, nice play. And he just kind of like walked away in disgust. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I guess everybody has a different way of like dealing with that sort of situation. Yeah. It's, it might help us play better, but for other guys, it just like ruins their day, I guess. Yeah, I have uh, friends like that as well, especially in fighting games and tournaments. I have a friend who, he's a really skilled player, but he can crush everyone as long as they don't put him in the corner, basically. Man, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have uh, yeah, lost those games. But yeah, mentality is a big part of these types of things. Yeah, I agree completely with that. Yeah, and you must have a ironclad mentality, dude, at least live. Because you just are pulling these runs over and over live, so there's some there's something we're going right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm definitely very fortunate that I've never botched a live run, even though I've played at like three events so far with Futari Ultra. Yeah, I, I definitely am very lucky there because like there is so much that can go wrong with Futari Ultra, like even if it might not be my fault. Exactly. So I want to now talk about that moment that Larza died and you realized, holy sh**, just cleared it. What was your immediate, like, reaction in your brain? Well, you can see it on the, on the video, man. It, yeah, right. It, yeah, it was incredible. It was like, like I won the world championships or something. Yeah, I, I can't really relate super well other than when I finally got the two all in Dodonpachi on that stream. When Hibachi blew up, my brain was like, like, I couldn't believe it. I knew it, but you know what I mean? It seemed unreal that yeah. I actually did it. And then I popped off so hard, I dropped my arcade stick. <laughs> yeah. Like, actually, when I got to the final pad and I got that one up, that was when I knew, like, there's no way I'm botching this unless I seriously f*** this up. Right. And, like, you can actually, like, see on the hand cam, like, I'm looking at my commentators. I'm actually, like, asking them, like, give me the mic. Because I, I wanted to go ahead and, like, recite the Bukowski poem, like, right then and there. But, yeah, I guess they didn't hear me, so I just kind of, like, played it through, and then I got to recite the Bukowski poem. talk about that extend too that was like the extend from the shmup gods right there because i remember watching it and i think it was in the chat or someone i can't remember what it was maybe the commentator but there was someone who's being like oh this is this isn't looking good you know it's not gonna happen yeah. and then you get that magical extend and 
Yeah, I, I kind of knew that that the extend was coming. That's because like it's it's just from like destroying the TLB it gives you a lot of bonus points. And uh, yeah, I kind of done the calculations in my head. I knew. Yeah, I got this extend here. So uh, actually, for me, a lot of the tension was from the moment before that, before I got the extend when I had right. to do that walls attack. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I had to no miss no bomb it. Lars had like a shit of HP there, <laughs> so I had to do some really tight dodging there. But uh, I gotta think SMC because uh, like a few weeks before the event, he suggested this strategy where like I use my shot to kind of like generate slowdown. Yeah, I remember seeing that, thinking like, have I seen you do this before? Have I not? Or did you do that at Stunfest? No, I didn't actually. At right. Stunfest, I just like dodged it with laser. And it was really difficult because uh, the, t- the attack kind of like goes in and out of slowdown when you just use laser. That's that's kind of actually one of the worst inaccuracies of the port. Because right. on the PCB, you can just use laser and slow down the whole way through. But on the port, if you use laser, it kind of goes in and out, gives you these speed ups. And yeah, that's no good at all. It makes it a really dangerous attack to dodge. So then like SMC, he really saved me there with that strat that he suggested. That actually made it possible for me to no miss, no bomb that attack when I did that at AGDQ. How much practice had you had with that strat? Was it during your time there or was it the weeks beforehand? How long did you have that strat in your pocket? Well, I think I had it in my pocket. I don't remember the exact dates, but I think it was around like a month before uh, before my run that SMC just kind of like casually suggested on my stream. And then after that, I tried it out in practice and it worked pretty much instantly for me. So yeah, nice. I, I had some time to kind of like practice it. But uh, yeah, that, that attack, it's still not easy to do even with that strat. Definitely. Yeah, it was a big relief when I got that no miss, no bomb on it. That, that was the moment that I knew that I had this fiend in the bag. Right. And also kind of going back to that story that you told about like you defeated Hibachi and your mind was just like, I think that's actually a common feeling among people like when they clear Futari Ultra on the faults. You watch a lot of these replays during that final explosion, like when all those bolts turn into gyms on, on that final pattern, a lot of players, like, they don't, like, move up to collect the gyms. Their character just, like, stays still <laughs> after Larsa dies, and I think that's just kind of them going, wait, is this real? That, that's how it is in my replay, too, I think. I'm not surprised to hear that at all. And so I want to know now, okay, so you, we have the whole story of when you were on stream. What was the reaction like when you stepped off the stage, you went backstage, you're no longer on the stream? Were people within the area like, oh, it's just some other run? Do you know what I mean? Was there any reaction in the event after you got off stage, or is it kind of just continue on with speedrunning? Well, the, the main thing is we were actually like running overtime, you know, like, uh, like I kind of made a mistake. I submitted the run like 10, as being like 10 minutes shorter than it actually was because I got the time mixed up with 1.5 Ultra. So the big thing at first was just for us to, like, get off the stage. <laughs> we had to like, run away. We had to, like, cut the Bukowski poem a few lines short because we had to, like, get that other run on the stage, get them going. But, uh, yeah, as far as the reception goes, when I was, like, walking off the stage, yeah, it was really good. Like, I got, like, a fist bump with those MGS free runners. There were lots of people, like, clapping for me in the audience. And, like, you had Mike Uyama there. Like, he was asking, yo, what's what's going on? Why, why did you go 10 minutes over? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I explained it to him. Like, I don't know. I don't know what happened, man. I just made a mistake. But he was like, yeah, don't worry, bro. It's cool. We did we did great success here. It's all good. So, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much the, the reception was like. We went over time, but people loved it enough that it didn't really matter a whole lot. 
I remember people talking about that, and I was thinking it was maybe because of the donations in between the stages. Had you factored yeah. the donations in? I don't think the donations really actually made much of an impact. Okay. Like you're talking just like like a total of like two or three minutes it would have added, but like we went like ten minutes overtime. And yeah, like I said, I wasn't really like sure even at first, like after when like what happened, like why we went overtime. It wasn't until like afterwards that SMC kind of suggested, hey, maybe he got the timing mixed up with one point five ultra. And like sure enough, I checked my Stunfest run for a one point five ultra and, and yeah, it went thirty five minutes just like I submitted the game. So oh, that was kinda man. like when I knew, yeah, I made some kind of mix up there. Yeah. Well, as long as they're not too mad, you know, I'm not complaining. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a success, definitely, even with the overrun. Well, awesome. So now that AGDQ is over, we had our spotlight. I can say on my side of things, it has definitely boosted visibility for at least the stuff I'm putting out there. How about for you? How has been the reaction afterward for you of people, important people or whatever you'd say, like coming to you being like, yo, what's up? Or how has that been? Yeah, I've definitely gotten quite a few guys kind of like come to me for advice on on the genre my discord channel it actually kind of like got a, quite a few new members after my run and, and my stream itself i'm up to like, like 20 or 30 viewers now before i was uh, i was averaging i think like five viewers yeah so yeah it's, i've definitely benefited quite a lot from it but uh yeah i gotta give big ups to you as well you, you've really done a great job there of like keeping the momentum going pumping out content definitely man you deserve those 1k subs you got it's crazy, the trajectory of my channel and stuff, where I've been at it almost a year and a half now, and basically yeah. for a year and four months or whatever, I was like in the 300, 250 range, like the whole time, adding subscribers one by one. And then after your run, boom, <laughs> like all of a sudden, my channel, uh, people are coming to my channel, uh, I think everyone else's stuff too, not just mine, uh is getting a boost because people are like, holy shit, shmups exist now. So Yeah, I've definitely like seen a bump on other people's channels too. Yeah. From my from uh my run. Like I kind of classed as well. Like we were talking before, like he was up to like twenty five viewers at one point after my run and yeah, he was like, Man, what's going on here? Is the Renaissance real? I that I definitely think that people are benefiting from this from this game visibility. But uh, yeah, I think I think you've probably done the best job of like seizing the moment here, growing your channel, and and yeah, it definitely could have happened to a nicer guy here. As man, you're just tirelessly pumping out content. I know that shit's not easy. No, definitely not. The reason why too, I'm especially pushing right now is uh, I feel like these moments come and they fade, and if you don't grab them and push them, they'll just fade away. And so what yeah. I really want right now is to just get as much shit out there as possible that's, you know, solid, that can get people in, bring people in. And then I really hope we can follow up with AGDQ Summer to kind of solidify this, to make it like, okay, shmups are here and we're here to stay. I feel like you kicked open the door and people are like, wow, that was killer. And now we got to get in there and like keep the door open, basically. Yeah, definitely. We need a steady flow of content going. Like summoning salt. R.Y. Goose called Jobs, those guys. Right, like, I exactly. I think they have a really important job in the speedrunning community of like uh, 
keeping speed running out there, out there in the public's minds, even like between AGDQ and SGDQ. They keep making content, keep the keep the thing in like people's minds. That's what we got to do with shmups. We don't want like shmups to be forgotten. We got to keep them out there. And yeah, I think you're doing an incredible job of that. So we've talked about AGDQ. What are your future plans as far as are you planning to do any future AGDQs or future live demonstrations? What What's going on for you there? Well, I'd like to kind of take a break from live events. Like over the past year, I've had Stunfest. Right. I've had GDQ. Uh, I just kind of like, like to take some time to kind of like relax. Just kind of yeah, like no play kidding. games on my stream, focus on setting PBs. But uh, yeah, I'd like to come back in the future for a GDQ. Not not do like ultra, but like I think I could do like God mode. Oh, that would be cool. That'd be cool. Yeah, those games are a lot easier to run. I think. Right. Not just definitely. like crazy RNG hell, like ultra. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you definitely laid an awesome foundation. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping you basically convince them to let Kiwi or myself in, and uh. In fact, if Kiwi just gets in, I'm still going to go and like commentate for him and try and yeah. like be an ambassador at the at the event. So, it really doesn't matter to me that much if Zero Ranger and me run. It's just I feel like we need to try to double our odds, right? If one doesn't get yeah. in, hopefully the other gets in. Yeah. I think we can kind of like see a live rendition there of like Mushi Gang. Well, like the song hasn't even been made yet, but like man, Kiwi, he just loves saying Mushi Gang, Mushi Gang. <laughs> yeah. Definitely made me dude. think about like making some kind of hip hop song around that. Yeah. The meme is definitely, there's a meme in there somewhere for sure. Yeah. I think it's good now to talk about, you do have one more event. It's not really a live event, but it's uh, somewhat close to being live, right? Shmup Slam 2. Yeah. So I thought it'd be yeah. cool to, especially because most people probably don't know what we're even referring to. So. I thought this would be a great opportunity to introduce what it is. So I guess I'll do that for the people. Uh, so Shmup Slam 2 is an event that I run. I did Shmup Slam 1. I can't remember when it was. It was last year or earlier. At some point last year, I think. And uh, Shmup Slam 1 was kind of like the prototype where at the time, I wasn't sure if people would enter it or care about it. I actually was 
thinking it would likely be just a day of me on my own stream because no one submitted. But uh, it actually did get a lot of submissions. For Shmup Slam 1, the idea was to kind of have a an online event because it's so international, you know, so more people could participate. However, I opened it up to both kind of VODs and live stuff. The feedback was unanimous that the live stuff was where it was at, you know. And so Shmup Slam 2, I went with that concept. And I said, okay, all live runs Shmup Slam 2. So I think this is going to be pretty, pretty killer. We've got a great lineup. Um, and in- included in lineup is yourself and SMC playing some Futari. Yeah, no doubt. This is going to be, I think, probably the biggest pure shmup event that's like ever been hosted by the Western community when you think about it. It's stacked, man. I can't believe how stacked it is. Yeah. Actually, that, that race between me and SMC, that was the original plan for Stunfest 2019. But uh, SMC, like, he, he just didn't really like feel like traveling. So he figured, yeah, let's do this at Shmup Slam 2. Let's make this right. Let's get this thing down, show off the game, and I'm actually really excited for it. It's not something I'm nervous about at all. Yeah. Because it, it is a race. The main thing there is, isn't to give off this amazing show of skill. It's just kind of like show off the game. So it's a much more laid back demonstration than, than my yes. earlier ones. Definitely. The cool thing about a race format is if, if things go horrible for you, SMC is still playing. Or if something goes horrible for SMC, you're still playing. So you're like doubling the odds of one of you making it through at least. Yeah, that's right. We're also <laughs> going to be playing at like extends every 80 million. We're going to start off with four lives. We're pretty much cutting every corner here. I'm <laughs> sure that like at least someone's going to get a decent run going. As I understand, are you playing Palm instead of or Rico? Yeah, it's going to be an abnormal Palm versus a normal Rico race. Oh, okay. So you are playing Rako. No, I'm not playing Rako. I'm playing Abnormal Palm and SMC's playing Normal Rako. Oh, so you're swapping. Yeah. Yeah. And 1.5 Ultra, uh, Abnormal Palm, uh, he is, he, he's generally considered like the only real viable character. Right. And normal Rako has a much harder time than, uh, Abnormal Palm, especially in stage two. She yes. just plain cannot kill those icicles. So, yeah. That normal palm is what most people go with, uh, but uh, SMC he's crazy, so he's gonna do normal Rako. That's what I was about to say. I thought my thought was both of you were playing abnormal palm, but he's playing normal Rako then. Yeah. Wow, that'd be cool. Yeah, he. I think he's really scared actually about uh totally screwing up the run. <laughs> right, because isn't it stage two with the icicles? Right, that the it becomes a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is the big wall for Reiko, is those icicles. It is just hell for her to kill them. SMC likes to say it, it's it's like a snow stage because hell has to freeze over before you can get through it. Right. I could see that. Yeah, I remember him talking to me about that and being really frustrated with that element of Futari. Yeah, that that's really why I, why I don't play normal Reiko. Why I suggest everybody thinking about checking out the gameplay Abnormal Palm. It's those icicles. They're just such a huge wall with pretty much any character besides the abnormal palm. That's a weird element of the game, to say the yeah. least. Yeah, I don't think they really did any sort of play testing on right. that part. They just ran the numbers like, this This should be fine. This This will work. And yeah. then, nah. <laughs> yeah, 1.5, the icicles actually have a double DHP that they do in a 1.01. Right. Uh, I that's really why that. I use 
Moreca 1.01 is just fine because you don't have to worry about those icicles too much. You've got like half as much HP. Right. I've actually like talked said before with like SMC, it feels like 1.0 is the original game, how it was meant to be. And then like 1.5 icicles are like some, some weird Kaizo ROM hack to like frustrate <laughs> you. I definitely know what you're saying there. Yeah. I'm, I'm also going to be doing some of uh, some my own crazy shit. I've been kind of like trying out on my stream. I'm, I'm not going to just be like doing boring survival strats. I'm going to try to put on a good show, do some yoga. Nice. What I'm hoping is that I'm going to post it on whatever speedrun, Reddit, or wherever speedrunning places I can find. And I'm hoping people will recognize, oh shit, that's the guy from AGDQ. But now it's a full event of shmup stuff, not just one run. And so I'm really hoping that we can pull in new eyes onto this event. That's like the goal. That is the goal yeah. is to bring in new eyes and to get people hooked. And hopefully one day they'll say, oh, man, yeah, I got into shmups. I watched this uh, Shmup Slam 2 thing and uh, it had all these great players and it made me interested. That's the goal. I don't. That's a pretty lofty goal, but that's what I'm hoping will happen. Yeah, this thing is huge. We just got to kind of have to figure out how to advertise this thing. Yeah, like uh, it doesn't really seem like so far like it's gotten a whole lot of hype, but I try like the shmup people. We we really got kind of like work on reaching out there. Yeah, and as far as on my own side of things, I've learned a lesson from Shmup Slam Two and Shmup Slam One. Shmup Slam Two I announced back in November of last year, and basically no one cared about that because it was all the way back in November. You know, Shmup Slam Two is on Leap Day. And yeah. there was like nothing. And then I reannounced it a few weeks ago and everyone's like, holy crap, I didn't know this was happening. I was like, well, I, I announced it in November, remember? So what I'm actually going to do is when it gets probably by the time this comes out, actually, about two or three weeks out, I'm just going to be shmup slam two, shmup slam two, shmup slam two constantly. But I feel like if you do that too early, people will forget. They'll hear it be like, oh, okay. And then they'll forget about it. So I'm trying to kind of uh, target the time that I start advertising it to be like three weeks before or two weeks before in that area. So people can like mark it down on their calendar. Be like, okay, this is actually coming up somewhat soon. So that's probably why you haven't heard too much about it. Because I'm like basically waiting till now to start saying, okay, here it's coming. Pay attention. And I'm just going to be constantly going on about it from now on, basically. Yeah, that's definitely a good idea. Like, if you look at, like, these big boxing fights, these big UFC fights, like, they'll announce them, like, months ahead of time, but it's not until, like, the week before the fight where, like, the promotion really kicks into high gear, so right. I can definitely see where you're, where you're coming from there, just kind of, like, waiting a little bit before you uh, really go all out with the advertising. That yeah. strategy really makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, so that's what I'm hoping. The thing about shmups and the internet is that... Up until your run at AGDQ, there was like this giant wall we couldn't get over where basically nothing we do could really get outside of our own little circle of stuff. Even when I tried, you know, because people would be like, oh, who cares? They're shmups or, you know, whatever. But I'm feeling like now we've, you've kind of infected what's going on in the gaming scene a little bit more. We can, you know, get some ears open and hopefully get out there. Yeah, I definitely got that feel as well. Like, uh, like when I when I'm coming to Japan, I've known guys like WTN for years, but I guess like they just never saw me play because, like he mentioned, he watched Stunfest and he, I mean AGDQ, and he was actually surprised that I could like pull out a run like that. 
So yeah, I definitely get the vibes there that like uh, AGDQ that that's really put the Western scene on the radar of the rest of the gaming world. Yeah, yeah, it definitely has. I think there's even like articles written about it and whatnot, right? Yeah, I was in Kotaku. There you go, man. Yeah, that felt surreal showing up on Kotaku. It's not, it's not my favorite website, but, uh, you know, I'll take it. It's mainstream coverage. That's the thing. To, is uh, Right, exactly. It doesn't really matter if we like Kotaku that much or not. The fact that they are recognizing us is the means we have made some sort of impression, right? Yeah. I'm hoping between Shmup Slam 2 and following up with AGDQ, we can kind of start creeping further and further out there. I think it's going to be, I think one misconception I think people have had or, you know, people are skeptical about your run and its impact is people think it's just going to be a, a switch that was flipped overnight where people wake up the next morning like, I love shmups now. <laughs> it just opened that door to where it was the door was locked and sealed before. And so it's going to be kind of a climb upward. It's not going to be all of a sudden everyone loves us, but people are willing, more willing to listen. So now we can just kind of crawl out of the ground, I guess, is the metaphor I'll say. It's not going to be an instant change, but it's a, definitely a new direction, at least. Yeah, that's what I said right after my run. Like, we blew the doors right open right there. Yeah, like, definitely. For a long time, a lot of these Western shmup streamers, uh, man, they, they've gotten, like, barely any recognition. And now suddenly we're, we're getting that recognition. We're having people, like, walk in from, like, the speedrunning community, want to, like, watch our streams. Uh, it's an amazing feeling. I think this has been, you know, I'm really excited for what's coming up ahead. If Even if people want to be pessimistic and say this is just a, it's not going to last or whatever, it's at least an opportunity that I feel like we have to at least try. I mean, it'd be, we can't be so pessimistic that we don't blow our biggest opportunity, basically. Yeah, like you were talking about before in one of your videos, this pessimism it is a huge problem in the community. I go as far as like saying some people actually like want us to keep declining in popularity so that way like we can be like neo geo just kind of like jerking each other off and right, how unpopular exactly. we are jacking up prices for uh all these collectibles i'm just like fuck that we, we gotta grow this community i want people pushing these games more people playing them right exactly i do think that is definitely a thing where there are certainly people who want to like remain in their little on their little thrones within the shmup scene and they know if it gets more popular no one's going to care about their little thrones. So yeah. like they want to keep everything contained. You know what I'm saying? Or they like, yeah. they like to go on and on about how niche we are. And they like the cool hipster factor of that. I don't know what it is, but there's definitely something there. Yeah, it definitely feels like a Neo Geo.com vibes. <laughs> they just kind of like want this insular community where like everybody can feel like cool hipster about themselves. Make it real hard for new people to break in. And uh, right. yeah, that, that's not what we should be uh, going towards at all. We should be kind of like going towards like openness here. Trying to yeah. like uh, draw people in, not shutting people out. What I think is actually going to happen is that there's just going to be, because this happens a lot with these types of things. Those people who don't want new people showing up or they want to remain elitist or whatever, they're going to just remain that way. But what's going to happen is everyone else is just going to move on without them. They're just going to be by themselves, being hipsters about everything we do and saying, oh, that's stupid, that's stupid, that's stupid. But 
their influence is going to wane away. People are just going to start ignoring them and be like, who's this guy? You know, that's basically what's going to happen. Yeah. Or they're just going to like change their mind. Like remember before they run, like you were talking, oh man, like on your video, like you mentioned, man, we were talking about, you know, Schmup's block going and everybody was just like arguing against it. And now like since the run, like not, not a peep has been heard from those people. It's <laughs> yeah, kind of like true. quietly acting like they've been on our side the whole time. Right. Exactly. That's very true. Yeah, I, I've definitely seen that as well. So I'm stoked, man. Thanks for following up. I think it was really cool to kind of catch up with you and let people know kind of your side of the story too, like what your experience was there too, because I think that's always interesting to hear. Yeah, great being here. Any final thoughts before we close out? Well, let's keep making kick-ass content, brah. I love everything, pretty much every video you make. And uh, yeah, I'd really like to uh, start making some of my own content. It's it's a lot of work, so I definitely appreciate what you're doing here. All this all this shit you're pumping out, just just keep at it. And the Oscar goes to Joaquin Phoenix Joker. This is the first Oscar and fourth nomination for Joaquin Phoenix. Hi. Mm. So, hi. Um, <clears throat> God, I'm full of so much gratitude right now. Uh, and I do not feel elevated above any of my fellow nominees or anyone in this room because we share the, the same love. Well, awesome. Yeah, I, that's my plan. So, yeah, thanks for, you know, supporting everything. So, um, yeah, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Adios. Bye.